Well, hi everybody, and good to be talking to you. If you're new here, uh, my name is Joel. Welcome to Emmanuel. Um, not normal, uh, Emmanuel, in some ways. Um, not even slightly. In fact, last week we we were able to have the the preaching in studio um, sort of conditions. Uh, right now, I'm I'm in a spare room in my house because one of us has uh, has got ill, uh, so we're in lockdown. Hooray! And uh, that means that uh, yeah, we've got to resort to my phone. So I, I'm 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 kind of using the spare room. Um, and uh, we've got, got some books and a plant just to make it look a little bit more like, you know, a, a fireside chat without the fire. Um, but bear with me, we'll be all right. We're going to go from Genesis. So we're, we're switching to the book of Genesis and we're going to stick here, um, God willing, for a few weeks because the story I want to go to is the story of Noah. And it might sound almost amusing because it's obviously uh, some interesting par parallels for us. Uh, a man who went with his family into sort of self-isolation um, uh, for a while, um, not quite knowing what to expect afterwards. Uh, yeah, there are some definite parallels with his story, but we, we often skip Noah. I, I, I've not preached, I don't think, ever from his story before. Uh, it's got some obscurities to it and peculiarities. It's sometimes taken... Um, as just a fable or a myth it's sort of hard to take seriously and we, we don't have uh, a lot of uh, understanding of it in our culture um, mind you if if you are watching netflix in your uh, uh lockdown then uh, there is an excellent documentary on uh, noah's ark by russell crowe uh it's called noah and it's perfectly accurate um it's uh yeah no it's 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 actually has got some bible in it i i, I i'm being slightly cheeky and but it it's got some Bible uh, in it as a film, more than I thought there'd be. I had to sort of watch it as research for this teaching. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. There are worse ways to be entertained. But it's as a story, often, um, you know, we, we, get, we get confused with some of the details. Some of the, the bits of the, the, the story are confusing and obscure and culturally obviously very distant to us. But Jesus talked about this, this story as completely factual, he is very committed to it as historical reality, um, and uh, and because of that, we need to take it seriously. You understand that the Bible is presented to us by Jesus as authoritative, and if we worship Jesus, then we need to treat Jesus' words about the Old Testament as authoritative. If if we say no, I worship Jesus, but I think he was wrong about the Old Testament, well, that doesn't work. We can't be consistent there. His view of these stories was that, that they were real things. They really happened. There may be some things we don't understand. You know, how does this fit with the geology? How does this fit with, with the science? And there's all kinds of biological things. And it's a confusing story on lots of levels, but that doesn't mean that we throw it away. It means that we just keep asking God to help us understand it. Now, I'm not going to help you understand most of that stuff because partly I'm, I'm not expert enough. And mainly I want us to get into how the story is re relevant to us in our uh, situation. So that's mainly where we'll be going over these weeks. And uh, I'll start reading in chapter six, just the first seven verses in a moment. But I'm sure you can see some of the parallels to this story already. I mentioned the self-isolation. You may have also seen in the news something that I found really striking and, and quite moving. This uh, uh, trend of, 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 of primary school ch children putting 
a little kind of hand-drawn posters of uh, rainbows, coloured in rainbows in their lounge windows, their living room windows, so that they're kind of facing the street. Up and down the country, this is happening. Now, I've not seen anything explicitly relating this to the, the Noah story, but if you, you know the story from the Bible, uh, you might know that, that, that it closes with this beautiful image that God gives as a kind of promise. Uh, he makes a promise that he won't flood the earth again in judgment. It's his commitment to his creation. He's, he's a covenant-keeping God, and he gives a sign uh, of a rainbow as the promise of his commitment uh, to, to, to himself, really, to commit himself to, to that. And so these rainbows going everywhere, I found it really moving. I thought, isn't it interesting that through a global crisis, there's instinctively in the heart of even our children, perhaps without them even knowing why, uh, a sort of a, a vestige of some shared memory maybe of, of, of the awareness that a rainbow means hope and it means, it means God's care for his creation, God's concern. Um, and so uh, I, I, I just, it helped me. It gave me an encouragement. I think, yeah, this is a good story for us to dig into. It's an appropriate place uh, for us to focus. And it's, it's a season in our lives where we are uh, isolated, many of us along with our families. Sometimes some of the pain and the pressure of that is, is alarming to us. But in all of it, I'm wondering what God is doing. In, in, in all of it, I'm thinking, what is it he's planning? What is it he wants to bring about through this? See, we are going through more than a storm, I would say. You know that a storm is different to a flood. You can get through a storm quick. You, a storm can come and go within hours, and the, the, most of the, the furniture is sort of in place and everything is more or less as it was after a while. A bit, bit damp maybe, a bit blown around, but not with a flood. A flood, a flood changes everything. A flood remaps things. A flood changes the infrastructure. A flood leaves its mark. I think coronavirus is already doing an enormous amount to change things. It's already uh, playing havoc with our economy. It's playing havoc with some of our career prospects. It's, it's huge for so many of the institutions that we've, we've, uh, we've based our confidence in. This is more like a flood. And we don't know how long it's gonna last. We don't quite know what to expect in terms of the, 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 trans the, the time that this will take. It's in many respects a similar story. It's global uh, and it's, it's having huge impact. Stuff that we can predict, stuff that we can't predict. And the time will come when we will come out of this the other side and we will come into a world that won't be quite the same as the one that we left in some respects at least. There may be some sorrow, there may be some grieving. There will be in some respect grieving for all of us for all the things that we've had to lose and say goodbye to perhaps even for some of us, the people. These are, these are dark things to consider, but that's why we need stories like this. We need a story like Noah. We need a story from, from the Bible, a story with scale, a story that's not trivial, a story that is about global things, about a God who is in control of global things, a God who knows what he's doing through history. We need, we need some friends from the past who can help us. We need to walk with some giants, as it were, so that we can get perspective, we can, we can get some, some grasp of how to live, how to trust, what to do in this bizarre time in which we, we find ourselves, I pinch myself, I think, well, 
am I dreaming still? Is this is this real? I can't, I can't believe I'm living through this strange time. It seems like a dream, but no, it's real. And we need to ask God to help us to prepare for all that it involves in the years to come. So I thought we'd get into this story and see how it might help us. And to do that today, I'm just going to read the first seven verses. That's all I'm going to do before we bring some things out from it. It says this, chapter 6 of Genesis. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I, I saw a, a headline from a, some online uh, media outlet this morning, I think, saying, uh, now is the time to start meditating. And I, I guess I can understand that spiritual impulse that many will be feeling, especially now. We, we, we don't feel served much more by the idea that life is, is basically meaningless, that there's no spiritual meaning to the world. You could perhaps get by with that view of the world when all your material uh, comforts and routines are in place. But when they get kicked out from under you in some way, well, it's not unnatural for people to start looking for more profound sources of meaning and purpose and identity, I suppose. And so, yeah, turn to various things. And some will, will think, well, yeah, but the idea of a God, the spiritual, yeah, I'm interested in the spiritual, but a God, do I want to do I want to take that idea of a God seriously? We might be attracted to the idea of a God who's got it in control and is taking it somewhere, but what does that actually mean? I remember a, a song by uh, Nick Cave from a few years back called uh, Into My Arms, I think it was called, which began with the line, I don't believe in an interventionist God. I thought it was a curious category to, to, to use. What does he mean by interventionist God? I suppose it's it's a... It's a kind of a, a caricature of the God of the Bible, the God who just kind of throws grenades in every so often. Who just, he's just, you know, he's just on a different spiritual plane from us. He's, you know, but he just gets involved now and then. He just wants to get in and play around. He just, oh, can I play? He just throw, throws a, a, a crazy disaster in, or throws throws a hero in, or does something, but but then clears off because he's he's God and he's he's preoccupied. That that may be many people's perception. Of God but the God of this story here is way too involved emotionally for that did you notice the way it talked about his his seeing of what's going on and his heart engagement the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart he's he's not complacent and nonchalant he's he's 
emotionally engaged it's fascinating to see that a, a god exists with with passions i suppose uh, <laughs> that's what we see here genuine ability to to sympathize to to feel the impact of human experience and and decision making and behavior god is involved and this is very true to the god that that we continue to discover as we go through this book from start to finish we get to the point where this god comes amongst us he literally arrives amongst us and so we don't have in the, in the christian faith an interventionist god we have an incarnate god we have a god who stepped into our world stepped right into the world that he created his world in fact his creation over which he still retains total sovereign control and authority and yet he humbled himself and entered in as as uh, one of us as part of it with us this is this is the god of the bible and he's showing up here with that kind of instinct to, to feel it to be part of it to to take it upon himself and he does it nevertheless as i say with with control he knows where he's taking it he knows the journey he's on he has a tapestry that he's weaving perfectly the threads are not tangled where he's he from where he's watching it's all looking perfect we see it from the other side maybe you've looked at a perfect tapestry from the other side of the canvas or the loom or i don't know what you call it before you maybe you've seen that and and you've sort of thought well there's a kind of discernible pattern but it's also a total mess there's random knots and tangles and loose threads but you haven't yet had the big reveal you haven't seen the tapestry that's been crafted by a master artist and that's that's history that's the, that's how the bible presents history that god is crafting it perfectly we not being god are called to trust that there'll be a time that we will have more ability to see what he's been doing but it's always been with purpose and and intention always that's his plan and though though we don't see it we can learn to trust that he's involved he's doing it and doing it with a sympathetic heart with a glorious goal which he will rejoice in just as he rejoiced in the beginning a few pages earlier or two or three even in the bible you get god repeating uh, this behavior of seeing what he made and saying it's good the lord saw and it was good the lord saw and it was good the lord saw and it was good the first week the week of creation and then you you see here in chapter six almost precisely the same language but in the in an opposing sense the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart the lord saw and it was not good that's our legacy that's our our uh, gift to him if you like we we bring to him grief effectively now this this is the sort of thing that i find is less controversial than it might have been people are increasingly prepared to accept that mankind has has brought destruction and corruption to a good creation that's that's in fact the, the great passionate concern of, of more and more people a whole generation of people concerned ecologically aware that what our legacy has been as humanity is so wicked is so evil we've 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 hurt creation we've done all kinds of ecological apparently unredeemable damage and i think that's a huge part of it 
but I am noticing that that can also be a convenient way of removing our own individual personal heart from the spotlight. What we live in, you and I, in this 21st century, is a peculiar culture whereby human beings can, can go through life being perfectly happy to accept human complicity in the evils of the world, but no personal complicity. Because the problem is the system. It's a convenient concept, the system. The problem is the economy. The problem is the infrastructure. The problem is education. <laughs> the problem is the politicians. <laughs> it's, it's the class structure. It's, it's all these multiple systems. It's these multiple ways in which we're kind of ratcheted up in a way that's, 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 that's it's, it's all the system. And if the system was fixed, then everything would be right. The Bible will not let us say that. The Bible won't let us go there. The Bible's diagnosis is far, far, far more honest. It's far more grim. It's far more bleak. But we need bleakness. If the reality is bleak, we need to be told so, don't we? What doctor is helping you by lying to you? And the Bible's diagnosis is never to say, oh, it's just the system. Improve the system or you'll improve everything. No, no, no. The problem is too deep. The problem is being described here in these very words. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The problem is actually more than the system. It's the problem of the heart. And this is perfectly consistent with, with what we see in Scripture in, in, in multiple other places. The Bible keeps telling us the same thing jesus himself in his teaching you may be surprised to hear was consistently clear on this the problem of the human heart he spoke to his his followers saying you if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father good gifts to those who ask even at the point of goodness when a father is being kind when a parent is doing a good job and loving their kid, he says, yeah, but I'm afraid even in those points, you're still evil. Even your good things are tainted with evil. Of course, we can, many of us, list loads of very virtuous people. We might even claim to be one ourselves. But the virtuous person, the most virtuous, will always be the one who will know that their motives are very mixed, very suspect. And the heart, is what God consistently looks at through the pages of this book. God, God's, God's diagnosis of our condition is bleak because he sees more deeply. Jesus said, out from the inmost place, out from the heart flows every kind of evil. Out from the heart of man. It's not the outward thing that God is so concerned about even. It's from the very heart, the depths, the roots are producing the fruit we we don't rejoice in good things in the way we think we do jesus even says in john chapter 3 this is the judgment light has come into the world but the world rejects the light the world loves the darkness because its deeds are evil we don't even like light and goodness and god we don't like it we reject it we prefer the darkness what are you saying we don't like good things no we do like good things we like that we cherish the results of good things we like the convenient fruits, but we don't like the tree that they come from. We'll take them, thanks very much. We enjoy the goodness of creation. We love it, but we don't like the root. We don't like the creator. We, don't, we resist and try to replace him. 
That's the instinct of our fallen heart. The condition is serious. And this is God's diagnosis here. And it remains so through scripture and through history. And we need to face this. We know it surely from experience. We know it from our own experience. You know it from just observing. You watch it on a school playground or even in your house now, since that's where the school playground is if you're a parent. Kids are wonderfully innocent people in comparison to us adults, but the seeds of corruption are still there. Nevertheless, from, from, from conception, the Bible says, from the very, very beginning of life. And you can see it sometimes, very early stages with children. You see it when you're all under one roof as a family. You might have expected during coronavirus, you know, we're all going to be under one family. It's going to be heavenly. It's going to be sound of music. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, skip over the South Downs, you know, making our own clothes and, and, and just, just, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the future for us now. You, I'm just any minute, I'm going to burst into Julie Andrews songs and, because we, we are so good. We're such good people and I've got good plans for us and I can make our family good. <laughs> I found by experience that I can't. I've noticed that in my own heart, there's still sins that prevent that and there's sins in all of us and we have to say sorry, we have to repent, we have to ask God to help us because why? Well, there's this condition that, that, that that's being described here in Genesis chapter six. It's there in our children, it's there online. We're all now online in all our communication. It's a different kind of communication. Sometimes it's more, a little bit more likely to be a context for shrill communication, uh, I've noticed. It's more likely to bring out the worst perhaps in people. But isn't it interesting that that's not why it started? No one said, let's start the internet so we can all click online and start being mean to each other. Let's let's invent social platforms. Let's invent Twitter because that's... The reason these things started was so everything would be really awesome and we'd be really well networked and everyone would be groovy and cool and just love each other. And it would just, you know, we'd kind of step gradually off if not gradually into some kind of perfect mega utopia of, of, of you know multiple connections and everybody just 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 it just we will just the, the vibe will be heavenly because we're all online and what do we find we find twitter becomes like a cesspool of constant hatred and shaming and and sort of smearing of people and uh, virtue signaling and just using it as a context for, for pride and greed and hatred and tribalism because the issue is in the heart. The issue is in the heart. Even some of the most sophisticated, well-educated cultures in history, who you would think would, would never cling to any kind of wickedness, they'd never get tangled up with anything barbaric. Well, the, the reality, the horrible reality, is that you can have extremely intelligent, extremely educated people who are corrupt beyond belief and do unspeakable wicked things because the problem isn't a lack of education it's not a lack of even healthcare it's not a lack of economic uh, accountability and infrastructure it's not a lack of good politicians it's friends it's a it's a problem at the very heart of each individual that we all share we need to come to terms with that before we understand how god responds and god does respond with grief we've got to see that god's emotion in it it's worth saying that because his judgment in this story is so shocking, actually. If we stop and consider it, we, we, we might think of the story of Noah and the flood as something to be associated with children's Bibles and children's books and children's toys, even. Have you ever seen a toy Noah's Ark, you know, with the giraffe's head sticking out the window? It's kind of nice, childy, kind of, you know, a big menagerie on the, on the sea kind of image. Noah's the big zookeeper. It's all good fun. 
When you read this story, as we will do, you'll see it's not fun. It's not fun. And if a film was telling the true story, it would be a lot more shocking than the Russell Crowe one. It's a bleak, bleak story. We're talking about multitudes being judged. Multitudes. Multitudes. It's, it's, it's the weight of judgment in this story is meant to stagger us. It's meant to remind us of what God, in his time and in his way, can bring about whenever he likes because it's his world to judge, it's his creation, it's up to him, not us. We need to spend our lives reminding ourselves what we're not. We are creatures, not creator. Noah's story will help us, I think. And so will the coronavirus in reality. Hasn't that helped us, and reminded us as a whole human race with all our confident plans, all our expectations, all our manifestos and vision statements how fragile we are it's humbled us perhaps we've needed it perhaps we need reminding that any day any moment god can step in and say enough enough i bring an end to your arrogance i bring an end this is my creation this is my world god is genuinely a judge and we need to take that seriously we need to see that his judgment comes out of a heart of grief and we need to see this clearly there were just a few things to say before we finish this about the judgment of god and this is really where i want to land this message first of all it's not moodiness see when i get angry it's nearly always nearly nearly always a shortcoming in me there is a thing called righteous anger but but our anger is generally given over to to really quite trivial passions god's isn't god's anger is always righteous god's anger is mixed with grief in fact god's anger is mixed with love it's an expression perhaps of his love it's an expression of his true nature which is loving but truly loving the opposite of love is not anger the opposite of love is indifference if a man loves his wife and she is shown to be unfaithful and he dismisses the issue and says well it doesn't matter to me is that man loving his wife no he, he's indifferent to his wife that's not a loving husband by any means a loving husband will feel anger at such unfaithfulness and 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 so god is expressing his his goodness by being angry with wicked injustice wicked sin but by, by the way that his name and his creation is being spoiled it's not a partisan judgment what i mean by that is it's not god saying well let's let's just deal with that group of people because they are the ones who are irritating and these others well we'll, we'll let them off we we tend to perhaps think of it like you know, god god's judging certain people because well that we know they're the baddies and the line is drawn between them and us. And people sometimes do that when, when disasters happen or something horrible in the news. You sometimes get the ill-advised comment from a, from a religious person. Say, well, they're being judged because of X. So they've done this bad thing. That does happen, sadly. The truth is Jesus was, was asked this kind of thing sometimes. People say, yeah, why did this happen to those, those people? Had they done something bad? You know, a tower fell on some people in Siloam. And Jesus said actually you too will perish if you don't repent jesus comment was to bring it back to the individual's responsibility don't you go thinking that they got got it you know they, they had it coming because they are the baddies no 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 we're all the baddies we all need to be watchful this is the atmosphere of scripture 
and for us to think, well, we want God to show up and stick it to those people because that's what we need. We need a God who cares about justice and will do things. And that's a healthy desire. It's a good desire. Maybe we need more of that in our society. We, we seem to be addicted to having a fluffy Father Christmas God who wouldn't hurt anybody. And there's other parts of the world where they've really suffered and they long for a just God who will bring judgment deal with his enemies one day but the problem the only problem with that is the assumption that when God's dealt with all those enemies he's finished and he hasn't got to deal with me why should we assume that the line gets drawn to our favor why should we assume that we will stay on the goody side it's foolishness it's, it's vanity it's blindness and it's completely out of keeping with what I'm reading here all of our hearts it's, it's the it's the under it's the imaginations of our hearts every inclination every intention of our thoughts god's coming after sin he's coming after me so his his judgments aren't partisan and they're not without warning as well bear this in mind please this is so important we have such a tendency to stick god's uh, uh sort of achievements or performance on the wall and judge it as if as if he's not fair when he judges god had warned Noah's generation 120 years before did you miss that verse 120 years of warning totally ignored totally ignored whenever God steps out in judgment in the Bible my selfish ang angry arrogant human instinct is very often to think why would why is God so angry why would God do that that's so unfair my instinct is never it seems maybe it maybe gradually i'll learn this but it's, it's, it's so rarely to, to understand the extraordinary forbearance and patience of god 120 years of warning which results in not one single step of repentance from the people of the time not one man woman or child came to god in repentance during that 120 years and it's the same through human history. God has sent his preachers. God has sent his scriptures. God has sent his Holy Spirit to convict people. God has sent word. But like Jesus said, the world loves the darkness because its deeds are evil. Our heart inclination is away from him. And so it's not without warning. No one can say, oh, we weren't warned. If scripture says we're without excuse. Every mouth is stopped. God has spoken through nature, through creation, through scripture, we know enough, but we don't turn to him. We don't turn in repentance. But the fourth thing is that it's not without hope. It's not without hope, and this is so important. I, I would say this perhaps from the most peculiar part of the passage that we read. The first four verses, which describe this strange characters called the sons of God. Now, most scholars, it seems to me now, say that these are spiritual beings that the Bible's describing who wrongly start to have intercourse with human females. That sounds, I told you this, the, these parts of the Bible sound obscure. It's peculiar stuff, very peculiar stuff. But the idea is that evil spiritual beings, I mean, are more and more influencing controlling being given influence being that, that humanity is yielding influence to forces of evil spiritual forces of evil abdicating to spiritual forces which are breeding more kind of monstrously uh, wicked tendencies amongst humanity but what we didn't read is a couple of verses before at the very end of chapter five when noah 
is introduced. He's introduced as the son of a man called Lamech, who calls his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now the word Noah means rest or, or relief. It means resting from our labours. Now the reference here is to go back again a couple of pages to Genesis 3 where after the fall of the first man, the first woman, the first to be influenced by the evil spiritual forces in the garden, God shows up even at that point of first failure, disastrous, catastrophic, cosmic failure of mankind and makes an astonishing promise. And he says, from the seed, your seed, talking to the woman, he says, you, from your line, you will give birth to the one who will come, who will be the answer to all of this curse, all of this wickedness, all that creation's been subject to, all the horror, all the curse, all, the, all that that I need to judge. Someone will come from your line. A son will be born who will crush the head of evil and his heel will be bruised. And it's interesting that when Lamech talks about his son Noah here, he talks about him in similar language to that. He says, out of the ground, someone, the, the Lord has cursed the ground. So the, the, that's what God is saying to Eve in the early story. That the world is cursed, but I will bring blessing through a child that will be born to you. Someone has come, in, in this case Noah, as a kind of precursor. It's like Lamech and everyone else is waiting for, he promised a child. He promised that there will be a child. There will be someone born to us who will bring healing and victory over our spiritual enemy, over the forces of darkness. It's, it's like the, the powerful forces of evil are going to be pushed back. Even the evil that's in our heart, even the selfishness and wickedness that's in our heart, he will even have power to redeem us from that. He's going to finish the battle against evil one day. An, an, a, a hero will come and deal with our enemy. The Bible is set up as like a big war narrative. It's from the very early stories, early stages. An enemy has come in and destroyed creation, hurt creation, sickened God by twisting mankind against him. And God says, no, I'm going to redeem this so, so completely that I'll do it through a human being. A human being who will enter the story and who will enter it being born of a virgin, he'll be born spiritually, through spirit, not through dark spiritual forces, but by my spirit. He will be born into the world and he will take on an ordinary human life. And he will take on the suffering and the pain that is a consequence of human wickedness and evil. And he will take it into himself and he will deal with it forever. He will take the penalty and the blame for man's rebellion, for Adam's rebellion and all of his subsequent generations. This hero will come and he will deal forever with the problem that has beset mankind. That's what he will do. Through his work on the cross, Jesus did this. Jesus is the greater Noah. Lamech saying, we need rest, we need this child to bring peace. And Noah did do that. Noah brought a new beginning. 
He brought through new creation, but nothing like Jesus. Jesus does it for a whole multitude. Noah just did it for one family. Noah did it for just a short time and still failed himself. Jesus never fails. Jesus is there forever, a priest forever, reigning over new creation that he will bring us into. Jesus is, is, a, is the great child of promise, the one who's going to release us from the toil and the pain of this present age. We need to rest in him. We need to find peace in him. Let me ask you, are you with Christ? Are you with him? Have you got your trust in him? If you wanted to be saved during this terrible flood, you needed to be with Noah in the boat. If you want to be saved eternally, you need to be with Jesus. You need to be with him, the one who his, his wooden boat was a wooden cross. You need to put your trust in him. Receive his free gift of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of your son Jesus sent to bring us rest. I pray we would learn what that means, even, even through this stressful, strenuous time real rest for our souls in Jesus name in your own homes you may be able to take communion have bread and wine together with your family or friends if you can if not just enjoy this time of worship and prayer together with us as we sing thanks for being with us I look forward to speaking to you again soon